You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom as we approach the Parsha Satechocha, which is the Takonas Chazal to be reading before Rosh Hashanah, um, and we read these psukim that really describe the, the anguish and pain that Claudius Rowe suffered, and we know in history in Golis. Um, I, as I wrote in the invitation to all of you, that we need to note the resilience, the ingenuity, and faith that an halachic system that the Rabbanim and Poiskim had, they heroically and with great sensitivity dealt with these angstful questions that arose in that world of constant warfare and strife. A nun shone brighter than one who was considered by many and I heard this when I was growing up, and I heard this also from Hagoyen Rapinachas Hirschprung as well. Uh, he was considered by many uh, as the preeminent authority of his time. Shalom Mordechai Koyen Shadron, the Rashana Rov, the Marsham. Actually, he was the Rov in Buchach as well, which of course is a famous Galicia Stadt, not only the city of the Eishel Avrom, but uh, made famous by Shai Agnon and his wonderful collection, Ira Maloya. Um, the Bershanarov was uh, a Galatiana Chesidish And really, in many ways, just in terms of sheer number, the amount of chubas that he w- was sent and what he ruled on is astounding. Uh, besides that, of course, he also wrote, besides his chubas, he has Biurim and Shulchan Aruch, especially in Chesh and Mishpat, uh, an area that sometimes is considered Muznach. Uh, he was the address uh, for many, uh, for the most difficult, difficult questions. Uh, a difficult question that indeed occurred is really the basis and the starting point for what our, what our, our, our lecturer today, uh, my dear friend, uh, Rabari Clapper, who is the Dean of the Center of Modern Torah Leadership, is going to take off from that tshuva, uh, which is, in, which we all, which you'll see is a groundbreaking one, um, that has very modern ramifications. That today is take you through a sort of uh, intellectual reception history. I think it's probably the best frame. But I want to teach. I want to teach the um, the tshuva of the Maharsham very very partially to get to the point that matters to us, and then talk about how that uh, has how that tshuva has had impact over the years. Um, yeah, so let's. I'm going to start. I'm going to start by presenting a general background of the question of Afkina Rabban on the Kedushim Minayu. And is a phrase that the it's a, it's a category the Gemara uses in five different places, which can divide into two categories. Uh, it means literally that the rabbis take your take your marriage away from you. And the way most people understand that most of the time is that rabbis have the capacity to annul weddings retroactively by various means, maybe different means, depending on whether on how the, the condition was uh, was originally implied. Um, divides these into two categories. One case is where the marriages have already happened, and the other is where the marriage um, was, and the marriage was fine, everything was great, and then something happens later that causes that causes the rabbis to annul the the condition retroactively. And the second case is a case where the rabbis objected to the uh, marriage in the first place, uh, and they prevent them from being chal at all. I think those categorizations are a little bit imprecise, um, and the better characterization, um, which roughly parallels those two categories, but I think it's a better formulation, is that there are 
the first case is cases where the rabbis prevent husbands from creating situations in which wives can't know whether they are divorced. Um, and secondly, and that really goes back to the whole purpose of the get, which I like to say that in the ancient Near East, uh, the Torah is the only, uh, so I'm told, the Torah is the only system of divorce that requires the woman to end up with a receipt. So the goal of a get is not just that the woman is divorced, but that she knows she's divorced and that she can prove she's divorced. So the first case of Afkinu are case are prevent people from creating situations where a wife is left in Aguna because she can't know her halachic status. Um, and the other cases, the cases where we prevent the condition of being chal in the first place is where the marriage takes place via some kind of interpersonal wrong. I have to be very careful that it has to be interpersonal because there are, there are marriages that are averos, right? They're chai vilavin and they're chal anyway. And Chazal did not use their power of afkenu to prevent marriages that are chai vilavin from being chal. They only did it in cases, for example, where the woman was forced into the, uh, into the marriage. Now, people often propose, and I don't want to you know, get into the, the plus or minus of this on, the, um, on this podcast, people often propose, well, why don't we solve really big issues? Like, why don't we solve all, uh, all Yaguna issues and all Amzeris issues by just using this power of Afkinu, if the rabbi does not relate to the, uh, the marshal? Uh, what I want to point out, though, is that um, one of the cases in the Gemara, where Chazal Armachia the Kedushin, uh, is as follows, and we'll talk about the specific parameters of it, but the narrow parameters are as follows. Um, a husband sends a get via, via shliach to his wife. So that the the first paragraph of Gittin is about what happens when a get is sent via shliach, because a get via shliach is a very problematic category because the document by itself um, should not really serve as proof that it's not forged. And so you'll end up with a get that a woman can't use to prove that she's actually divorced. Uh, unless she sends back to the place where it's from to verify the document. And that's extremely, that's extremely difficult. So Chazal create the takana of the, of the, the agent saying, that this get was written and sealed in front of me. And that serves to verify the get. Um, but so, right, so, so that way Chazal set it up so the woman can always prove that she's divorced, even if a get is sent from far away. And you have to set up such a system because otherwise, right, when does divorce most necessary? It's when the husband and the wife are permanently in different places. So if you wanted not to have women be trapped as a gunot because they live in different, because their husband ran away uh, or moved right, or moved away or didn't come back to a business trip, you have to allow a get to be sent via shliach. And then you have to deal with the issues that are created by, the, uh, by, by this. So the question that comes up then is, but you can create a situation like this, that the, the husband sends a get via shliach and he appoints the shliach with all the proper proceedings in, in Beitin, in front of witnesses, whatever it may be. And now the shliach is on his way or her way to the um, to the to the wife with the get, and now the husband is mevatel the shlichus. He cancels the agency to deliver the get back home. So how is the woman going to find out right now? And just the possibility of this, the possibility the husband may have canceled the agency, means that the woman can't get remarried, but she's also can't claim the benefits of marriage, the economic benefits, whatever it may be. Because right, she has it right. Because there's a reasonable claim that she's divorced, but she can't prove it. So the Gemara, so the Gemara records on was about this between Rebbe and uh, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Well, first the Gemara reports there's a takana of Rabbi Gamliel that you shouldn't do this, and then a machlokis between um, Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel as to whether if you do do it, does it work or not. And then the question is, okay, so how how are you supposed to do it? How many witnesses is enough that you, we can be sure that she knows about it? But what matters to us is that there is a position which says that under some circumstances, if you don't if you don't do it in front of the appropriate number of witnesses, if right, if the husband 
is mevatel the agent, not in the presence of not in the presence of the agent, then as opposed to saying, well, she's not divorced because the husband was mevatel the agent, we say afkinu, we say that we right we undo the wedding from the very beginning. Okay, so as opposed, so the husband tried. The husband originally sends a get, and that would have made them married until now. And then the, at the moment uh, that the get reaches her hands, she's divorced. The husband tries to make them still married by saying, no, 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 I cancel the agent. So the get that she's going to get is just a piece of paper. It's not actually delivered from me. Um, so it doesn't actually affect the get. And Chazal say, no, you know what? As a result of your being mevatil this agent in a way in which the woman would, uh, which would end up with the woman not knowing whether she was divorced, we take your um, we take your divorce away from the first uh, for, with your marriage away from the very beginning. Okay, right. That's the that's the narrow case in the Gemara. The simple answer to the people who want to use the general power of Afkinu to solve cases of Aguna and Mamzeris uh, is to say that we pass in like a position of the Rashba. The Rashba, the Rashba basically says that we don't really know how Chazal accomplished this. The legal mechanism by which Afkinu works and is not clear to us. And therefore we can only do it in the specific cases mentioned in the Gemara. Five cases mentioned in the Gemara. Those are the only five cases which you can do Afkinu. And then there are other cases which uh, Rishonim and Akronim say, these cases too are based on Afkinu. So we can, perhaps we can do it in those cases also, but we cannot use the power of Afkinu in a case for which there is no um, precedent, even if we think that that would be morally desirable. Okay, all very well and good. Um, but so, at some point, as far as I can tell uh, so far, this is something that co comes up in the 19th century, um, past the mid 19th century, but no, um, although I don't know why it's not really suggested beforehand. So let's, I will go back another step. Tosfot um, in Gittin says I'm, right, that Tosfot already realizes that the case I described to you from the Gemara, the case where, uh, where the husband writes the the husband writes the get, tries to send it by agent, and then changes his mind and and uh, annuls the agent and cancels the agency. Tosas already is aware that that case can be constructed deliberately, right? Meaning that a husband could write, right? A husband could could on purpose write a get, and then appoint an agent, send the agent off, and then annul the agent or cancel the agent, not in his presence. So Tosas wants to know if right would it work. Or, or you can ask as a kasha, right? Those says, why haven't we solved? Right? Why haven't we solved all the problems of Aguna Mamzeris that way? But that's not the way Tosas asks it. Tosas asks it the other way around, which is important. Tosas says, doesn't this allow for the possibility of abuse? Doesn't it allow somebody to uh, cover up the adultery of a woman, right? If, if you're right, if you really, if you really love, um, if you really love your wife, Tosas suggests that it, a case where you where right, uh, with a prior relationship. Um, uncle and niece, and therefore you might have a desire to cover up your um, your wife's adultery because you have a relationship with her that supersedes the betrayal of the marital relationship. So why wouldn't you just do this and then retroactively you were never married and your wife didn't commit adultery? Uh, and in principle, you could do the same thing if there was a case of Amzerus, if you, that you wanted to relieve the burden of Amzerus. So Tosfus sees this as potential for abuse. And Tosfus gives a um, two answers. One possibility is in Echanami. If you find a husband who's willing to uh, to forgive the to forgive the, um, the the adultery of the wife, and why isn't he worried about the potential for abuse? Because he thinks that husbands generally won't do this. I guess. Um, 
And the other possibility, Tosa says that, it, that if you do it deliberately, it won't work. And we're going to have to figure out why it is. Why won't it work if you, um, if you do it deliberately? Okay, so Tosavis explains, right, either it could work um, if you did it in, or, or, right, or Tosavis says we wouldn't allow it to work if, it, um, if, you, if a husband did this with the intent of undermining the halacha. So this is an in-between case. The in-between case is, what happens if the husband does it um, with the effect of undermining the halacha, of getting rid of a consequence of, of, of adultery or mamzerus, but you do it because the rabbis tell you to. So is that something that works for sure? Because of course you're doing it because the rabbis tell you to, or is what, you know, what, what are these rabbis doing? How could they possibly tell you to do that? Right, that's a, that's a, a core question. So in the mid to late 19th century, uh, it seems a number of poskim um, collectively, uh, right, or sorry, separately, are faced by cases where, for what, for one reason or another, they think that it would be better if the consequences of, uh, or of having committed an act of adultery, whether deliberate or accidental, depends on the case, um, right? They think it would be better if those consequences didn't happen, and they come up with the idea: Why don't we, tr- do, why don't we tell the husband? To del- or why don't we set up instructions such that the husband will create a situation, uh, exact a situation exactly the case of the Gemara, uh, where the Gemara says uh, that the result is afkinu, so we can solve our moral or practical difficulty in this case by recreating the case of the Gemara. So we're not saying we can solve this, we can solve every case because the Gemara's case requires the participation of the husband. So obviously it doesn't help. Uh, it does, right, the Gemara's model can't be used, for example, to deal with cases where the husband is recalcitrant because it requires the cooperation of the husband. So it wouldn't solve what's called the, the modern Aguna or the or Sir of Aget issue. It wouldn't have solved the um, it wouldn't have solved the classical what's called the classical Aguna situation where the husband is missing because again all these need the active participation of the husband. But in cases where the husband is present and willing, um, these postgames said why not in their in their specific cases they said why don't we deliberately create a situation of Afkinu and, there, and thereby solve these problems. They, they automatically run into the issue, but didn't Toast would say, didn't one position in Toast would say it doesn't work if you do it deliberately. So they have to find a way to say that even according to that second position of Tosfos, um, it right, the, the this deliberately set up case of Afkinu works. So this this becomes known, right? Rabbi Kivalavis did a beautiful introduction to the Marsham. This I think is among the most famous of the Marsham's Shuvot. To the point that you can find other uses of it just by searching on databases with the phrase atzat maharsham, the the advice given by the maharsham, because this becomes a very famous um, suggestion of the maharsham. All right, so here, Rav Agona Charif Uvaki Marino Rav Avram Yol Abelson Rav Bekilos Odessa Berusia Mechtavo Hegiyan. All right, so we have the address. Uh, right, in the matter of his question about Isha Chachi Yishvah Gal Mudami Ba'ala Yud Beshanim, this woman who's been sitting alone, uh, right, right. Uh, without her husband for the past 12 years. But then the right, then her brother-in-law comes and he brings a, uh, a letter from his mother who says that this woman's husband, his brother, died and died without children. And he heard this as well. And so he's coming to give chalitza and to free her. And it's, right. And so the generally the halacha is that if an eid echad, even a karov, right, the Gemara says, even eid echad, even a karov, uh, even a relative comes and testifies that the husband is dead, then um, right, then you can go right. You're allowed to rely on them. We don't we don't have the normal requirements of 
two Shomer Shabbos male non-related witnesses. And so they do the right thing. Beit does the right thing. It trusts him. They, they do Chalitza, and now she's free. Vesiga Isha Ketav Heterli now. So the right, so the woman gets a letter from the Beit saying she's now free to remarry. In addition to that, she gets a letter from the uh, from from the uh, the official rabbi, um, right? The uh, the right, the Rav Mitzam, whatever I guess, uh, right? The rabbi appointed by the government, a um, a letter which says that uh, she gets a letter from him who says that a man by the name of her husband has died, right? So it's really right. So all all is really good, and the woman gets married, and she gets pregnant, and all of a sudden it turns out, you know what? That her husband had lent his passport to somebody else, and the person carrying his passport had died, and the people the people didn't know him directly. They just said, "Okay, right, he has he has he has this ID on him, and the ID identifies him." So all the people thought that her husband was dead, and uh, they right, and Nate Echler came and told her, and really he's alive. So the Abdinus should write a is explicitly um, right in the if a woman gets married on the basis of an of an Eid Echad. Then um, she right she has to leave both husbands, and the children from either husband. From her, all that matters is she's pregnant from the second husband, and even though she acted perfectly blamelessly throughout, she acted in accordance with the halacha. Although the Gemara says maybe she should have checked more carefully, but you know in this case she even went to the to the government and got the letter. Um, but the halacha is, and in such cases, for reasons that don't matter to us right now. Um, and basically, this right for this, this doesn't matter for our purpose anyway. She the the second child was conceived via an act that is in in practice adultery, and a child conceived by an act that is in practice adultery is a um, is a mamzer. Okay, so now we have this kid who's a mamzer. Um, okay, then he adds a point which becomes very important to the chaver. Ufar girsha harishon. So the first husband. Uh, who hasn't right? Who hasn't been around for twelve years? Right? He just shows up magically alive. He's been gone for twelve years, so he says, "Look, she's remarried," and he divorces her with a get. Um, and the Beit Din allowed him to divorce her with a get, which we'll see was probably um, probably a mistake. Um, probably the Beit Din that got the get from him did not realize she had remarried and was pregnant, and that will be that'll be important a little bit going on. And now the second husband says, you know, well, she's a surah, right? The halach is that she can't stay married to either of them, so why would I stay married to her? So he's going to divorce her too. Ulam lina vlad, so okay, that's the halacha, and the marsham does not seem, you know, poor woman, but that them, you know, that's the halachic breaks. Ulam lina vlad, He says, recording the kid, who she's going to have yet, there is a, uh, right, she's still pregnant, there does not seem to be in his head the thought of that there might be an abortion in his head, which is an interesting uh, question because abortion comes up in cases like this, um, right? The, 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 um, the original case is about that. He doesn't seem to consider the possibility of abortion. Um, uh, rather, what he says is, if this child, when the child is born, um, has the halacha of a mamzer, they're going to give him, as, since he's mamzer, or she's a mamzer, mamzeret, they're going to give her over to a foster, right, to a to a non-Jewish foster home, the Amiradato, and the child will grow up um, and apostatize. And even though the child is a mamzer or mamzeret, they're Jewish. And how can you give a child over to um, right to apostatize? Rabbi, let me interrupt you just for a yeah. second. Did you 
I know you're not you're not trying to do sociological history or go back. Does that sound? Uh, does that ring true? That that would have been the case of Mamzerim that were born in that period in the 19th century. That the, I mean, that they would have, um, that would have been the proper or the procedure. They would have actually said, well, <laughs> he's he's a Mamzer, and even though he has a mother who, who would love him, uh, he's going to talk about the mother stability in a minute. But we were just going, <laughs> we take these kids away and we. We, we give them to the church and have them raised as goyim? Sounds strange. I don't, I don't think the, that we expected mothers to raise children who are mamzerim. I think that's the... Uh, I think mamzerim were generally abandoned by the Jewish community, probably. Uh, and they would be maltreated by the community, I think, uh, sadly, but beyond question. I'm saying the, the, Lush and the, 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 the Lushen that the Marsham uses, Yim Siruhu, is that because that's unfortunately what happens in these communities, or is it because that's the sanctioned uh, directive that when we if have mamzerim? If we're the sanctioned directive that you know, then I don't know, you know, then who would sanction it? Obviously not the marsham. That's what I'm saying. It sounds, it sounds, yeah. it sounds terrible that that that's what's going to happen, or is it that we know because of the derelict nature of 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 what and the way people view them, I'm saying that's what they're going to do. I think that's I think that's probably right. Although you know, I could, but that's your know, speculative argue that um, if you had a well-developed child child welfare bureaucracy, that if the government knew that that's how such children were treated in the community, um, then you know, then it might be there would be a presumption in that uh, you know, particularly if the mother's not willing to care for her, uh, that it has to go somewhere. I, my my impression is that Mamzerim were very rarely raised. Uh, by the mother, um, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I could saying, be wrong about that. Right, so I'm saying yeah. th that would be an interesting for someone uh, to do some research on this because that 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 struck me as very, very strange. I mean, we know how much we care about uh, every human life, and and to become, uh, you know, to to live the life as a as a Christian, uh, and to give up yadas completely, and to sort of like forget. I mean, we know about the Cantonists, and we know about that because they're there was pressure on the community to give up children. Here, it would seem like, I don't, you know, in Odessa, wherever it was, it would seem like there'd been at least some support to allow her, allow this child to have some sort of Jewish life, despite the strictures that wouldn't allow the child to marry uh, anyone except another mamzeris. Possibility. Alicia where she's threatening suicide, uh, right? If suicide, you know, suicide murder. Um, the woman says, if you call the mamzer, right, so there's two risks. One is, which the Marsham seems to come up on his own, as Rabbi Kelly points out, a little odd, that maybe that what they'll end up doing is, is you know, sending him to the non-Jewish community. Or maybe she is a loving mother, but she's a loving mother who, who can't bear to see her child live up that way, so she's going to commit suicide murder. Uh, so those are real things. There's a whole separate conversation about how halacha should deal with uh, threats of suicide. If you don't, um, if you know, if you carry out the law as is, um, the famous case of the uh, Leif, right, and, and conversion. Um, okay, so that's right. But the Marasham says, look, we have to be aware of these. Uh, we have to be aware of these consequences, and generally, the extent to which you have to be aware of the of right, of how other people will react to your psak, which is correct halacha, is a great question. I think the answer is yes. But uh, we could talk about the parameters of that, right? Sometimes there's halitayu the rush of yamas, all sorts of. Uh, so not always. So not always is your awareness of it affect, but you should always be aware. 
But he says, The first husband, yeah, the first husband who vanished for 12 years is also not entirely sane. And he was in, uh, I guess we were down, say, in a mental hospital, um, but probably there was, uh, you know, it was less hospital. Uh, some place where, where you know, he's been in a place uh, for uh, for mentally incompetent for several uh, several times. And even now he's not um, fully fully competent. So there's a little bit of a um, a basis for het there is if you were to claim that maybe the marriage was never chal in the first place because maybe he was too feeble-minded, maybe he was in the status of a shota and was incapable of getting married, but there's no way of knowing what he was like at the time of marriage, but you can't get testimony about that, so we can't be matir, uh, we can't be matir the child on the basis of that. That's a whole separate conversation whether that is necessarily um, the case halacha, but what, how much of a suffix you need? But that's where the, the way the marsham phrases. That's where the that's the way the marsham rephrases the question uh, from Rabbi Abelson. We don't have we don't have the original, so we can't. I can't tell you to what extent it's summarized, to what extent it's the it's just, it's the uh, system of Rabbi. Okay, and in the so the marsham goes through his analysis, and then he has an interesting one, and this is what becomes known as the Asasa marsham. I won't hide from this. If you had come to ask me for advice before the first husband had divorced the had divorced this woman, so she was still right at that point. She's still an adulteress, uh, right, so a woman who's committed adultery, but she's still married to the first husband. I would have given right. I would have produced for you this piece of um, advice, uh, but. Uh, effective advice. There's an interesting line, right? The halacha v'lo l'masa is a line from the Gemara of Basra, right? Where um, Rabbi, I'm getting the blank now, Kutlamid, I think, right? Where right, one Amor is told by another, right? We ask the question, can we act if you just say something with halacha? And his Rebbe says, no, you have to wait until I tell you halacha l'masa. When you say halacha v'lo l'masa, that sounds like you're saying I'm only suggesting this, but I haven't actually poskined it yet. Um, but sometimes phrases like that just mean, and I think from what I've just looked at all the other cases of that that show up in the Barilan search in Marsham, what it usually means is I want somebody else to agree with me, which could mean that if another rabbi comes along, he says, well, I agree with you, right? So you would have agreed with me, right? Depends on how big, uh, how big the next postake who reads this thing is. Um, sometimes it's just a way of evading the, uh, you know, of evading the pressure. Um, and here, he can't do it anyways. And he says, it could be that all he means is, I'm telling this to you, to you halacha, but I can't say to halacha lamasa because you already made it impossible by allowing the first, uh, by allowing the first garrison. I would have given you this advice, halacha according to the Kostas and Gittin, uh, where the, where the, uh, the Rosh asked, in Keni Chapel Basakoto, if we allow, right, if, if we say that sometimes being mevatel the shliach leads to, um, right, leads to leads to annulling the wedding, then a person can cover up for his niece. If there are witnesses come and say that she committed adultery, right, exactly what we saw, right, and um, right, so he'll send the, the get by agent, he mevatel it not in front of the agent, and the condition will, will never have been chal. So he quotes the two answers of uh, the two answers of Tosfos, and he says, look, according to the first answer. The first answer just says the kaven to gedin mechape in lachush. We don't care as long as it actually is done effectively according to the dinim that produced afkinu. Great. 
And the second possibility was, says Sosef Bezis, when we know that he intended this, we don't we don't do the takana because the Chacham did this to, to help fix things, and not um, to cause people to stumble. And this will cause uh, Jewish women to be prudent barayos, right? Because they won't be concerned about the consequences, because they'll say, you know what, my husband is just going to write again and undo the wedding in the first place. So he says, the first, the first terrors. So it's perfectly clear what we could do here is we could have the husband do that, or we would have been able to if he had not already divorced her. Because once he's already divorced her, then if he write, tries to write another get, now he can't. Isn't it? You can't write a get if you're not married to somebody. Um, even to the second terrors, second terrors we can say, the in a case like ours, where she, right, where she acted in error, but at the direction of Beitin, so there's no risk this will be widespread because ordinarily Beitin won't go along with it. So if if a husband wants to use wants to use this to cover up his wife's adultery, then it will say no, there's no afkinu. But in cases where nope, right, the husband's not trying to cover up the wife's adultery, we're trying to resolve a situation where somebody behaved really well and is nonetheless trapped by halacha. So in that case, we'll say, oh, even the second Tzitos will agree this has worked. However, he says, but in this case, it's nothing to do. And then he says, well, see, be careful about it then. He says, of I haven't found any way of allowing the child to not be considered an there. So this is what we call a leading question. He says, unless you were to tell me that the that the, the first get, right, the one that the first husband wrote to her, was not really done willingly, but it was done because the Beitin forced him to give it. So if the Beitin forced him to give it, and remember he's weak-minded, um, so then we can say that that first get is invalid, and then he said, okay, does that, is that enough to make the kid not a mom's there? No. All we have to say is then, if there's enough of a suffix that the first get was a was was a was invalid, in such a case, yeah, yeah. So then you would do the eitz of doing the get again. In other words, once you would be matel suffix, or at least assume that the first get, the get of that first husband who came back was not a good get, so you have enough tzad to say that was a get musa, so it didn't count. So now we'll do the get and do the bital yedei shliach to generate the afkina rabbanik kedushin in it. All right. So I think that's correct. I mean, you have to. I think that's what the sadeh k'moshu kataftei lamalva is it means. That's what he means. And that yeah. means, and that means that it's not so not lamasa, because <laughs> he's, he's right because he's suggest because he's creating an environment in which it could happen. You just have to tell me that right that the get that the get was done al dekfia and I would tell you this. And this is the holes at tzarechi lamasa, but you still need. To engage Lamasa, but I don't. What is he saying? The whole that Sarah Lamasa is he saying the case needs Lamasa, or is he saying again that act the way I suggested? About I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure if it's about the Klisha Sadas, the fact that he was you know in and out of sanitariums. Because once you go on that road, then you're not going to be able to do Afkina Rabban Kedushimina either, because it's it's that the person did it get with Das and then was Mavatalit. So yeah. I think, yeah. It has to but, be somehow about the Ma'usa part, that somehow he was pushed into it. And then absolutely what I'm just saying, what I was trying to argue is that if somebody, not somebody is a shota, but if somebody is weak-minded, right, they're a pesi, not a shota, it might be easier to claim the get as ma'usa 
because such a person is easily influenceable. Mm-hmm. Right? That I don't think there's enough um, there's enough literature on this. Right? Usually we spend our time in cases like that trying to prove that somebody's not a shota, so they can give the get willingly. So it's an interesting case whether post facto, if we right, whether we whether it's easier to argue that a get was musa when the person doesn't really have the capacity to resist. It wouldn't invalidate the get if it was willing, but it might be easier to argue that there was undue influence. Uh, right? I don't know the answer to that. It, you know, misvara, it makes sense to me that you should be able to say that. Uh, you know, we, we, I think we, we all have experience of people, uh, especially, you know, very elderly people who um, are not as capable of resisting pressure as they would have been when they were younger. And so it might be that the same amount of pressure on a very elderly person creates a get musa, whereas it wouldn't on a younger person. And by the same token, if you have somebody who's simple, it might be, it might be, it might be we'd argue the reverse. Um, but I think it's a reasonable spur to say that that's why, you know, that, that, that would add to it here. He does, since he doesn't mention it though, that's all speculative, right? All that matter, and it doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me is in the end, he gives you a roadmap um, that his, his suggestion isn't purely theoretical. You could tell me X, and if you told me X, then I would revive this suggestion. So it's not just a theoretical thing he's coming up with off, off the cuff. He's ready. He's still leaving a suggestion as to how to do it in this case. And I'm suggesting that maybe he, he's really, you know, it's really a leading question because he expects them to yield that result um, because, right, because of the circumstances of the case. And then we have to say, well, does that mean that he's really saying in the master? Or does he say at the end, the cold is in the master, that you go through all that work. And then after you go through all that work, then I will, uh, then I'll suggest in the master. Or it could be another possibility that he just says, look, this is obviously an extreme measure um, and other facts may emerge that, you know, let's say, for example, we may discover that the, that we, ha- we find a witness who testifies that the husband was a shota at the time of the wedding and the wedding was ever called for that reason coming into play. Um, we don't have a record of the Marsha mentioning it anywhere else. Um, and that should have sort of just lays in abeyance so far as we know. We don't, I, we don't know when it was written either. Uh, right, the Marsham dies in 1911, so right, can you figure anywhere from the late 19th to the early 20th century. Uh, what we do know, uh, which is interesting, um, is that similar types of suggestions are made by uh, are made by other people. The Oni Yontiv, uh, right, who dies early, he has has a suggestion for a similar case of a woman who confesses to having confesses to having had relationships with, with uh, somebody who would make her possible guna uh, because she was actually served as a zona uh, for months for weeks before the wedding. So the, the case of the Yontiv is just that she have to tell the um, does she have to tell her husband this or not? Um, um, and he has the right the suggestion to tell the husband you can solve the problem, you can solve the problem this way. Right? And, and he comes up with the same suggestion as the same suggestion as the Marsham. And I found that Dvar Yoshua, well, I think if you have to check this out later, that Dvar Yoshua uh, was from Ehrenberg, uh, also late 19th, early 20th century. Gimel Vobs, I think that's probably the case I'm forgetting. I probably confused them. That's probably the case of Asia's coincidence. We suggest the same thing. So far as I know, we have no evidence that the um, that the uh, Oregantiv or the Varyoshua knew about the Marsham or vice versa, or that anybody knew about the Oregantiv or the um, or, or the Varyoshua or used them as precedent um, until the until the post-World War II era. Okay, now in the post-World War II era, uh, we don't I don't have direct testimony at the time either. But there was a story that went around all the yeshivot. So it was a story that when you, when you hit this Gemara, they would tell about a Holocaust survivor uh, coming back after the war and, uh, and using this mechanism of the Maharsham to, um, right, to 
resolve the problem of his wife who had remarried. Uh, I had heard the story about the Panovitcher, um, but it's really it. Um, I you know I don't think I don't think I ever tracked down a firsthand story. So I was very excited when uh, last week, as I started doing research on this, that there was a um, a, a, a publications of these. The conference of Israeli Dayanim from 5739, which is published much later. It's not published until 5772 or something like that. And in that uh, conference, uh, um, Rav Simcha Cook, as a friend of Rafa, um, tells the following story. He says, Marsham, Marsham Kasav Shuvaso Laachar Shuva after it happened, right? Kifisha Tsin, Shazel Lola Lachav Lola Masa. As he explained this, that we don't have that. We have halach of lolamasa. He has lol halach of lolamasa, um, right? So that's Rav Cook's, Rav Cook's version. Right? Why did he write this? He says, right? So he thinks that the marsham used the language of lol halach of lolamasa to warn us that if somebody would come up and it's sometime v'alel dato l'shtamish bet marsham and somebody wants to use marsham, yomer lo lo, we'd say no, don't do that. So he thinks the Marsham published this Chuva Dafka to stop people from using it. Not to uh, not to not to not to use it at all. I think that I think uh, right, Rabbi Kilas, you can look it up, but I think that I, I copied it accurately, and it's the halacha of Lulamasa, and that's a very weird reason to publish a chuva when you publish the halacha of Lulamasa. Even if it said Lola as we'll see in a moment. But even if but if it says Allah what you're really doing is hoping that somebody else with shoulders bigger than yours will take up the banner so it won't be just on the basis of your psaac. You're not saying it because you don't want people to use it. But now uh, Yeah, I, I would agree, Ravarian. And again, it really yeah. isn't relevant to how it's used in statements in the Chazal. It would be what do postkin mean when they write it. And I think that um, like you say, the fact we know how much of a cost every chuva was to print. So there was it wasn't just the marsham needed to be mafarsim his brilliance. So I agree with you that putting it out there was a way to uh, give people a, a, a life preserver and maybe hold on to it and use it. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, and also, I, th I think you'll see the language that I copied is it's not lo it's lihalacha. And we'll see why Rav Cook made the mistake, I think. Uh, but now he tells, but having said that, the Marsham has no implications at all. Now he tells a story. He says, Mitoch birer eitzel zikne, keep saying that, right? Mitoch birer eitzel zikne hadayanim. By exploring the, you know, the elderly, the elderly, uh, the elderly dayanim, yodueli, sh'avi zetzal lo haya asr shum maaseh behora, katona gadol, v'li is yatsus im, im harav tri pesach franks z'zukwan. I know that my father, his father was a Rafaela cook, Cook's brother. My father never did anything without asking the, right, the advice and permission of Rav Pesach Frank. And here's the story. Isha Achas, there's a woman, Nitzolos Hashua, who is a survivor of the Holocaust. Al Sal Eretz Yisrael, she makes Aliyah. The Savar Shabal and Erag, she thinks her husband is dead. Kishar Yudim Shinisafu, like all the other Jews, right, of their area. But Isha Shuva, she gets remarried. And afterwards, it becomes clear that her husband is alive. And then, right, and she and her new husband are, are both from Bala to Anshi Asuralov, and he says, Hey, now she's Asura to me. He wants to leave. He says, Unless you tell me it's mutter for me to live with her, to be intimate with her, then I don't want this marriage anymore. 
And she says, look, I can't live without my husband. I already lost my whole, my whole first mishpacha, except for my, my first husband, which I didn't know about in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the war. And without, and without this second husband, it's not worth living. So another, right? And she prostrates herself on the floor. And she also threatens suicide. There we are again. So after after the um, Rafael Cook consults with Rasvi Pesach Frank, they rely on the position of the Marsham as well in order to be Matir. Right, that's right. That's the true story, says Rav Cook. But my father would never have allowed a mamzer just on the permission of the marsham. Um, right? Et's, right. And he says, and furthermore, I think this is a mistake. The um, right, the whole idea of bringing up this to- the topic of can are there ways in which we can matir mazeris is a mistake. And if certainly it was, it would be forbidden ever to be matir a mamzer on this basis. He says, To permit mamzeres nowadays is to forbid, right, is to permit znus, permit adultery in public, because mamzeres is the last thread that preserves the prohibition against adultery, and we should not be thinking about ways to resolve this, which is the boundary of of Kedushas Yisrael Bedorzeh. So it's really interesting. So Rav Cook, right, Rav Cook says, says, I guess, a whole bunch of things that matter to us. First of all, he says, which is not what he wanted to convey, he says it happened. Um, then he says, it happened, but it would never have happened for Mamzeros. It only happened for an Aguna situation. But then he says, the reason it shouldn't happen for, an, for a Mamzeros situation is because, not because halakhically it wouldn't work if the rabbi thought it should, but because it's terrible policy to have a solution to Mamzeros um, that could be effective to Rav Cook's um, position in two ways. One is to say, no, there are ways, the same way that um, that we saw um, that we saw in the Marsham, right? That we only, it'll only work when the rabbis approve it. So we can find ways to be matured only in narrow cases. Let's say, for example, if you had a mamzerus that was a result of rape. So I don't think that being matured the mamzerus would have any effect on the incidence of rape. So, be, so we could say, you know what? We're only going to uh, we're only going to use this mechanism in cases of in cases of rape where the rapist is willing, right? That that's uh, right, itself a very uh, right, since this, this can only be used in cases where the other party is willing. Where the, where the first husband is willing, so it might have narrow implications anyway. But um, right, so there are ways in which we could respond to Rev Cook's claim that way, where we could respond on a policy level that the um, either that that to to not there are too many cases on Zeris now. Adultery is too widespread that we can't bear the consequences, even if in fact some uh, fairly small subset of adultery is is uh, right is um, prevented by. Enforcing mamzeris, we can't right. We can't live with the consequences. We're saying that actually doesn't do it at all anymore, right? That um, enforcing mamzeris has no consequences on adultery anymore. Those are directions that the Israeli um, high rabbinic court has taken lately. That um, that, in, but not to be matter on the graces of Afkinid, be matter in other ways. I I'm just mentioning that as background um, for of Cook. Now the the other day I have really interesting things to. Uh, to say about this, Rabbi Shlomo Karlitz agrees with uh, with Rav Cook that in, that the Marsham never said it Lamasa uh, because it happened after the guests. 
And Rav says, I would have said this, but he never gave the Asa Lamasa. As we pointed out, that's not entirely correct because the Marsham, if we're reading it correctly, does come back and say it at the end. So I think that, that this may have been a live Kenes before Barlan existed. And as great as these Ainim were, it's very likely they didn't remember the Shuvah by heart. And so they're making the suggestion based on an excerpt and not having seen the um, not having seen the Shuvah inside anytime anytime recently. Um Ram Shapira. Or later, Rav Rashi says, I think this is a Mr. Shmuel David Werner uh, says there was a terrible case like this in Tel Aviv. And Pana Elena Bizbanohar of Unterman, or Unterman asked us, the Shaila, can we do this? And we told him, no, absolutely not. You can't, uh, right, you can't do this. Um, right, so we have, but then Rav Moshe Malka um, gets up and says, you know, the Marsham is a, he's one of the greatest postgame ever. So if he said it, you have to take it seriously. But Werner says, I didn't mean to insult the Marsham, I just meant he didn't mean it at all. And Rav Moshe Malka gets up and says, what are you doing? Right, Mamzerus is something that Chazal already recognized as a deep moral problem. Which is a, a, a um, Daniel Chayata in Kohelas Rabbah, where Chazal say that, that the, the Pasuk in Kohelas, which says that God sees, the or Kohelas sees the tears of the oppressed, and... Um, and says they have right they're they're oppressed by the koach of the Sanhedrin right we see the Sanhedrin as oppressors they come against the Ashukim the oppressed with the kochash of Torah and the Kodesh Baruch who says so Rav Moshe Malga says how could you possibly reach the conclusion that there's a suggestion that would enable us to be matzimam zerim and you're not willing to consider it because of policy reasons so that's a very powerful thing also deserves exploration um, Rav Moshe Malga I don't know enough about but what matters to us in this year is Rav Avadi Yosef. Uh, Rav Yosef says, when I was the Rav Rashi in Tel Aviv, a story came to this, where a similar story, uh, well, not quite, right, where the woman uh, the woman comes and brings and gets remarried on the basis of bringing testimony that her husband died, and then it turns out that her, that her witnesses were deliberately false, and her husband was just alive in Russia, um, and now she has a son who is, right, who is, who is Becheska's mamzer, who is a mamzer? And the question is, can we do anything for the uh, for the mamzer? Aravadia is more on Rav Moshe Malka's side than Aravsimcha Kohenikuk. He wants to resolve this problem, even in a case where the woman deliberately set up a lie, uh, and he's willing to do it a by suggesting that maybe the woman is not telling us the truth when she says she was married Kedas Moshe Yisrael in Russia, and it could be somech on the um, somech uh, on the uh, on the position that. Um, on the position that civil marriages in Russia at least don't count at all. Um, and he says, you know, he says, so in this case, what, what suggestion is there? He says, um, the Marsham has a suggestion. Look at this, right? The Marsham has a suggestion and he, right, and he, and he suggests you do this. He says on the story that I told you in Tel Aviv, I sat, I sat on this issue with some, some door, and because we had no testimony, right? Because all these issues, we um, we agreed um, we agreed. He says so. Rabbi just says I had the story in Tel Aviv with with Ehrenberg um, and because in those cases there was another suffix, I told them maybe two suffix, whatever it may be. If there was. I told them to second side of Marsham. So then somebody said, why don't we solve all Mamzerus cases where the husband is going this way? 
The Avos Patea Din Bet Tel Aviv is not Gulozeb, the whole Tokef, Lasso Petura Chotagimura. And everybody said, no, that's a terrible idea to make that our Psak, but this is how we're going to handle such situations. Um, and he says, look, also, We'll have to talk about that line in a moment. But Ravadi says that what, there was this case in Tel Aviv, and I told them to do it, and they did it, but I, then I tried to make it a psak, I think, and, and there he met extreme opposition. So I, that's my take. The Ravadi himself thought it was not a terrible idea. Um, right? they, he, he doesn't frame it himself. There was a suggestion. And they and they opposed it. He doesn't say whether whether he opposed it or not. Um, but he did it in this case. Now, then he has this line, right? Then he tells you that Rashlama Zalman opposed the Marsham. Rashlama Zalman has six reasons. It's published now in Minas in Shlomo, I think it's Simon Ayn Vov, that um, that you shouldn't use the Marsham. And he says there's another idea though, you know, that this case of Bito Shliach isn't the only case where it's constructed deliberately. There's another case in the Gemara which involves throwing a get within four amos of a woman in Rishud Harabim, where the Gemara, where the Gemara says she's Megureshet, and the Ramban and his, and his school says that's also because of Afkinu. So you might come up with that suggestion. He says that's also not Kadash. It's neither new nor Pashut. Okay, so now we have, we have minimal time remaining. Um, so I'll try and see what I tell you what happened here. Um, so there is a, um, there is a, uh, a work that was recently came out, and this I think is what Rabbi Reese was sending to me, uh, me too. Although um, I think I think this is what he intended is a work called Shulchan uh, Yosef that came out recently, which puts together Rabbi Vadi Yosef Sakim that are not mentioned in his tribute, and they tell you um, they they tell you that Gam Gilada Tzal Ben Yonada to get Marsham, that the that Rabbi Vadi Yosef also uh, gave his opinion about this in Marsham in another place, and here's another story. And he tells the story from a Boran's Shubas, uh, where a uh, where where a woman has a uh, at, a woman gets married to the Kedushin. She has a she has a daughter. She has a daughter, and then they separate. They get a tour, and she goes to France, um, and then she she meets a Balchuva, and um, and she says she's and she she says she's not married, and they get married, of course, right? And he turns out to be a uh, he turns he turns out to be a Cohen. They have nine children. So in that case, also Ravadi in the end said, right, Natan has kamatola so get alpiat sata marsham hayadua. Right now, you can look up the Shud Shari Sion, and it is there as well. So we know there's another place where Ravadia where Ravadia, uh, allowed the the heter marsham. But the reason, part of the reason this really interests me, is that when I was on the Boston Beitin, uh, a similar case occurred, and um, of a woman who had um, right. Uh, a woman who had uh, been married in Russia and divorced without a get, and then she remarried and she has a child in Israel. Uh, now she was living in Boston at the time, but her child was in Israel. And so the question was whether the child of moms are or not. And Ravadia sent uh, the head of the um, of the office Pragunot, uh, Rabbi Gamliel, to Boston to solve the problem, but not using the Sath of Marsham. But rather using the solution of throwing a get within four amot in Rishut Rabin. Um, so the question is why he did that. So one thing that um, that one has to acknowledge, right? So I, I have been using this this kenneth name, but I, I went backwards. You probably noticed because the kenneth actually starts with a um, with a shear apparently by Rashlama Goran, who was the Ashkenazi chief rabbi at that point, and 
Rabbi Gorin, which is why I think Rabbi Cook makes the land, says, Kol Varayim Lola Halacha Lola Masa, Rak Leina Levira Hilkatib Alma. Rabbi Gorin starts off by saying, I'm telling you all this, not Halacha and not Lamasa, but even though he says not Halacha and not Lamasa, I'm entirely sure that Rabbi Gorin, uh, Rabbi Gorin intended it to be Lamasa. Um, but if you read his, what he says is, look, there's the Marsham, and he asks Kashas on the Marsham. And the end, he says, while there are kashas on using the marsham, he says the right thing to do is zrikas get medal amos is to throw a get uh, within four amos. So right, so it's really interesting that right, so all the other dayanim in this kenes are responding to Rav Gorin's suggestion, and Rav Gorin's suggestion seems to be probably intended to solve as many cases of mamzerus as possible, which is why people thought it was being suggested as policy. Now, in that regard, Ovadi Yosef's answer become, has to be understood a little bit differently. I think it's, I think it's pretty well known that, it, that by the time they became chief rabbis, owing to the fall of a Mamzerus case known as a Langer case, Rav Avadia and Rav Gorin were on terrible terms, which is one of the great tragedies of the halacha in the past century, because Rav Avadia and Rav Gorin were both incredible Talmud Chacham and Poskim, and functioning together, they were they could have done awesome permanent things and that they didn't function together and that therefore, also therefore they weren't, uh, they, right, they didn't continue in, the, in office and we've never had, uh, we've never had, you know, I don't know, difficult to imagine how you could have a uh, post scheme of their stature as uh, at chief rabbis and all sorts of things go wrong for that. So I wonder, right, if you look at Ravadia, says, A, Roshlomo Zalman already attacked the Marsham. So if Goran, you're asking Kashas, the Marsham is not such a chidish. All you're doing is taking things from 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 Roshlomo Zalman, and you should have read him if you if you hadn't read him. That's your fault. So presenting this as a chiddush not so good. And then he says your other thing is not so pashut. He doesn't say anything about it. There's also not and also not new. But he says your your the, the the suggestion you have instead of the marsham is not so new. He doesn't tell you where it comes from. He just tells you it's not new. So I think this is you know it could be a uh, a tragic moment in the sense that Rav Avadia, um doesn't support Rav Gorin. Now, Ravadia tells you, in a sense, that he had tried the same to argue the same thing as Ravgarin just using the Marsham some years earlier, and the other Rabbanim in Tel Aviv had argued against him, so maybe that's why he's not willing to support him or not. Uh, but we do know that Ravadia, Ravadia we, we, we have um, three reports, at least. Uh, I think there's a fourth, uh, which Ravadia was willing to use this mechanism of the deliberately constructed Afkenu, to resolve cases, uh, right, to resolve difficult cases, including Mamzerut. Um, so far as I can tell, um, right, he used both the Marsham and the uh, and the and the Dalad Amos Rabim. Although, which again, that's the, you have to get the details of that right. It's just like you have to get the Beetle things right. And I'm not trying to narrow down the details. This is not a how-to. Uh, please do not take this you know, this year and say, "Oh, look, I know how to I know how to do this." Um, but he, it seems like from you know, from my experience that he actually preferred Rav Gurren's suggestion. So it might be this is one of the great what if moments uh, in halacha where uh, where the bad terms in Rav Vadia and uh, and uh, Rav Gurren prevented something from becoming policy. Uh, so other point I can come back and give a share about how in practice the Rabbanu Rashid is um, generally uh, getting paskening lakula in all mamzeris cases. Uh, nowadays, I think that there has been a record like in the past seven years, they've cleared up many, many past cases. And, I th- and there's only one case where there's been a Psaq, the Chumran and Mamzerius case, I think, in the past seven years. 
Um, and we can talk about other ways of doing this. Rav Moshe Feinstein, as a separate tribute, Rav Moshe Feinstein had a way that in practice should lead to the to Pasuk and Lekul in almost Mohamed Zeris cases. But what you can see here is an interesting, interesting uh, intellectual history of the uh, of the Mar of the Marsham. You know, historians can explore, as Rav Kivalevi suggested, what the what happened to Mamzerim in the late 19th century, why it is that these suggestions are made in at least three different by at least three different postgame independently in the late 19th century. Uh, it seems that um, there's right, that at least two cases of this happened um, in Israel um, in after the Shoah. So it seems like that was there was probably some kind of mikubal notion that that's how you resolved uh, Holocaust issues. And then there was an attempt to make it more widespread, uh, which you know you can see a fundamental policy dispute among the Vayanim. And uh, we can give some examples where Ravadia did it uh, did it anyway. And I brought this up because I was talking with. Uh, uh, about a, about a particular case uh, that I'm dealing with with a uh, with a dying recently, and they said, yeah, I think that's the kind of case where you should go back to either the marsham or the suggestion of uh, of of Carvel del Namos, uh, which I knew was not out of the ballpark because Rivadia had had instructed the Beitin I was on to do exactly that. But obviously, it's worth um, worth much more discussion. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.